The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. My name is Maureen Metcalf. I'm the host of the show. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to solve their biggest problems and leverage their biggest opportunities. I do this through a combination of roles as an executive advisor, a consultant, and a coach. I'm a regular contributor on Forbes.com and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead and transform their organization. I'm also an adjunct faculty member in universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today, our guest is Mike Figliolo. He's an honor graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point. He served in the U.S. Army. After several years of leading soldiers, Mike spent time in corporate America as a consultant at McKinsey & Company and as an executive at Capital One Financial and the Scotts Miracle Grow Company. Mike is the founder and managing director of Thought Leaders, LLC. He and his team train senior executives at leading companies on topics of leadership strategy, communication, and innovation. He's the author of three books, One Piece of Paper, The Simple Approach to Powerful Leadership, Lead Inside the Box, How Smart Leaders Guide Their Teams to Exceptional Results, and third, The Elegant Pitch, Create a Compelling Recommendation, Build Support, and Get It Approved. Mike and his firm are hosting a must-attend leadership event this fall. Executive Insight 16 is a two-day learning event being held in New York on November 10th and 11th. The sessions are focused on topics all leaders need to be skilled in, from strategy to negotiation to decision-making to executive presence. The best of his firm's thinking will be showcased. The goal of this show, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, is to help leaders improve or update their leadership skills to keep pace with the current technology and changes we're facing in the world. So our best leaders still depreciate. We tend to focus on getting the work done over improving how we are leading as people. So as leaders, our our product, ourselves, is the skill we have at leadership. And while we update our technology, our computers, our mobile devices, most of us, we don't always update how we think and behave as leaders. So what, I, what I'm trying to do with this show is create opportunities for people to hear where they may have gaps that they didn't even know and try on new behaviors and new ways of thinking. So my goal is that you walk away today with something you hear from Mike that you can test in your leadership capacity in the next week, in the next month, 
And if you like it, come to Insight 16. So the outcome of today's session, as part of the Thought Leadership Series, Michael share his insights about the 12 characteristics of great leaders and what makes them great. He'll share this from the lens of his personal experience in the Army, in corporations, and now running a firm, and also from the work he's been doing with clients for a long time. So, Mike, welcome. I'm delighted that you're here in the studio with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's been too long. So give us a little bit of your background before we jump into the questions. Yeah, so you covered uh, sort of the required bits, but in terms of what I learned in those experiences, when I was in the service, I learned how to lead people, trying to get an 18-year-old kid to crawl under a tank at three in the morning and turn a wrench because he wants to, not because you <laughs> tell him to, right? The, so there's an interesting leadership challenge there. When I was a consultant at McKinsey, I learned how to think, how to take big, hairy, ambiguous problems, put structure to them, and come up with clear and compelling recommendations that clients actually care about. Um, during my time as an exec at Capital One and at Scott's, I really learned how to tie those two things together, take the leadership and the thinking and turn it into action, turn it into business results. And then running Thought Leaders has been a, a real joy. I've been doing it for 12 years now, which I still can't believe. And I get to work with amazing organizations like Google and Abbott and Discover and Huntington and, and these companies with really bright executives who are facing incredible challenges. Uh, the speed of their business is changing so rapidly. And the challenges they face are sort of unprecedented because of matrix environments, as well as um, just sort of those blurred lines between their company and other companies they're partnering mm -hmm. with. So it's just really neat to be able to help them navigate that, help them build the skills they need to tackle those challenges. So those are really the things that I've learned going mm -hmm. through my background more than anything else. So let's jump into the conversation. You talk about great leaders, and I think of Colin's Good to Great, and he has his take on that. It, you have a slightly different take. Let's start with, are great leaders born or made? You know, that, that one's always, uh, I call it a bit of a false dichotomy, right? So there's, there is some element of born. You have mm -hmm. to have a desire to be in front of people. And this doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert. It, it's just you have to have that drive inside of you to say, I want to make the world around me a better place and I want to do it with other people. So I think the bias toward leadership is sort of born. But the bread piece is you can learn these skills. These are all capabilities that I've been taught mm -hmm. over the years. I didn't know strategy coming you know, out of my mother's womb. It's something that I learned over time, and I was mm -hmm. given tools and skills. So I think the most successful leaders are the ones who can take the things that are innate characteristics and build upon them either – where they choose to apply their leadership trade or in the the way that they apply it. So I'm going to talk about authenticity in a little bit, right? Being able to let themselves shine in the right environment, but then using the skills and tools that they pick up over time. Certainly, if they're not made, you and I are in the wrong business. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> so I have a vested interest in saying that leaders can be made because I teach those things. Well, right. and you and I are both people of high integrity and we've dedicated decades of our career to helping yeah. leaders get more effective. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming we both believe this to be true. Yeah, I absolutely. I, well, and I know it. I, I see mm -hmm. it in my clients. I see it in their performance. Mm -hmm. Well, and given the changes we're facing in the world, and we both talk about that, it's required right now. You know, it's, it's funny when folks are in the classroom, and I don't know if it's a function of my clients and their bias toward learning, 
but just the way they absorb stuff and engage with the content is mm-hmm. amazing. And they push me and challenge me, and, mm-hmm. and they're constantly asking, how can I take what you're teaching me right now and apply mm-hmm. it to the real world? So there is that need, but there's also that drive, at least with the organizations I work with. I find it as well, even with students. So my undergrads who are getting ready to take a job in engineering, and they want to do great stuff in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I've got my kids and I see them doing the same Mm -hmm. things. And my son is coming home talking about, yeah, I'm going to get into machine learning. And it's like, really? Like, where did that (laughs) come from? Because you didn't get it from me. I'm lucky I know a little bit of HTML for my blog. But just that drive and that desire to take Mm -hmm. on new challenges. And and it's sort of that affirming moment where you say, I think the world is going to be okay when you see a kid like that Mm -hmm. saying he Mm -hmm. wants to fix the world. Then you see him do something stupid and you say, we're doomed. (laughs) Well, kids, right? They're kids. kids. (laughs) Well, and so actually that's the age at which they seem, at least my experience, is the world is possible. Everything's possible. So, So the level of curiosity there is fabulous. What's exciting is to see execs and senior execs, in some cases, who are equally as curious. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you get those folks who are self-aware and willing to devote time and energy to their own development. And I think the curiosity drives some of that. Mm-hmm. I think for other folks, they're curious about the world around them and understanding the way their business runs. But there's not that curiosity around improving themselves or, or at least that awareness or that time and energy that's carved out to do it. I think once they carve it out that curiosity takes over and you just see them engage with the, with mm-hmm. the topics and content. But it takes a lot of time. You know, I'd, I'd kind of challenge that. So okay. when I look at what it takes to develop, people have this mindset of, I don't have time to develop myself. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what did you read this morning while you were having your coffee at your desk? Were you watching cat videos or were you reading <laughs> something about the world yeah. around you? What did you do the last time you were on a plane? Did you crack open a book or did you just sit there and play, you know, whatever the latest iPhone app is? Yeah. So carving out that time, I don't think is the big challenge. I think it's that awareness and saying, I want to make myself better and here's how I'm going to do it. You write about many, if not most of us are good leaders, but few are truly great. Given that accurate self-analysis is very difficult, how do you know how good a leader really is or how good you are as a leader? For me, it's about the behavior of your followers. And if you're that kind of person where you can build a team and people are willing to follow you, they're willing to take your direction, your suggestions, Mm -hmm. and make it happen without necessarily saying, I don't believe you, I need to push back on this, or Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you're going to back me up, right? It's not blind followership necessarily, Mm -hmm. but it's that person saying, I trust you. I I trust that you're making the right decision, Mm -hmm. and you're doing it for the right reasons, and you have my interests at heart. That, for me, is the first litmus test of a really great leader. The the ones that are really interesting are the ones who leave a company or leave a division. And when they do, all of a sudden there's that sucking sound behind them (laughs) of everybody else exiting and joining them at that Mm -hmm. new company or going to that new division. Or you get the boomerang effect where somebody leaves their team, goes and does something great for a few years, that leader develops, and then that person 
wants to come back and work for that leader again after mm-hmm. they've gone off. So it, it's that voluntary followership. It's that desire to be more with the leader than with the organization. That's that's a great test because we always say people leave bosses. They don't leave jobs. Well, mm-hmm. you can flip that around and say people follow great leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, They stay where they are if that person isn't that great. So I, I want to ask then, I, I can think of some people with whom I have worked who people follow them because they're afraid, right? Because because they're a jerk. Yeah. And, and that's compliance, right? That's not following. That's there are going to be repercussions and consequences for me if I don't do what this person says. And, and that can take many forms. It can either be I'm going to make your life hell at work and just continue to pile on work. I'll give you bad ratings. Um, Or it can be sort of emotionally abusive, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm going to run you down as a person and you're going to want my affection and my approval. And it's Mm -hmm. just so sick and so manipulative to, to see it. And those leaders don't last long. Unfortunately, their teams have a shorter half-life and those people start to bail. But eventually, Mm -hmm. that person gets that reputation and people aren't wanting to join that team. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. the only people who will take those jobs are the folks who can't get jobs elsewhere. So they're not the greatest performers. And ultimately, it all lands in that leader's lap of your team's results are down because you have a bad team because you ran off all the good people. If I am one of those guys, how do I know? Because chances are I, I've missed a whole bunch of cues along the way. How do you know you're a bad leader? So some of it just requires the courage to ask for that feedback, but then the real courage is in listening to it and not putting on the defensive spin of, well, yeah, but I was hard on that person because, well, no, that project didn't well go well because it's like, no, it was you and it was your <laughs> set of behaviors. Unfortunately, what I've seen with a lot of those leaders is they if they don't get it and aren't picking up on the cues, which a lot of times are pretty straightforward and pretty direct when they're getting the feedback from their leaders, if they're not picking up on it, they're never going to pick up on it. Mm -hmm. And they'll eventually get relegated somewhere else where they can't do a lot of damage and their career is going to stall. If you have a question of, gee, am I one of those or not? Just you even wondering about that means you're not irredeemable, right? (laughs) You saying this might be me that you've set aside that narcissism to say, oh, no, that's not me. So I, I think it really is about sitting down looking at your performance, looking at the indicators. Do I have people wanting to join my team? Do I have people asking if I have open recs on my team? Or do I have people who are leaving? And let's look at that pattern of departures. Do I have trouble getting people doing what I'm asking them to do without Mm -hmm. it resorting to you need to comply and you need to do it just because I said so? So this is where the self-awareness then comes in, that it's not soft, squishy stuff. It's if I'm not paying attention to myself and how I'm impacting others, I'm likely not very good. Yeah, and this is, I I call it think time, where I encourage a lot of the folks I work with, and I try to do it myself, to set aside that think time. I used to listen to the radio in the car all the time, and now when I drive places, it's silent. And beyond trying to figure out where I'm going, I'm just sort of running it over in my head, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Am I doing the right things with my business? Am I developing my people correctly? Am I thinking about my clients, the ones I'm coaching Mm -hmm. correctly? And are there things that I can be improving and doing differently? So just setting aside that time and just being introspective and letting your mind wander, but on a specific topic Mm -hmm. saying, am I being strategic? And just spend some time noodling on that. 
that's where those moments of self-awareness come in. And that's why I say it doesn't take a lot of time to develop yourself as a leader. That exercise can happen in 15 minutes. Yeah, I was just writing a blog post, and, and the question in that is, was how much of this is me? Right? So if there's a problem in a relationship, a miscommunication, could be minor, am I asking how much is me, or do I just run off to the next thing? Yeah, I think the default should be what it, I, I'd go beyond that and say, what's my contribution to this? That was because, the question. <laughs> because what you can really ask is how much of this is me? And the answer is, well, none. <laughs> it, right. If, if you pose the question that way, I think if you pose the question of what are my contributions to this and just assuming you are contributing to it in some way, shape or form. You're going to get a lot further. At least it'll open your mind to say, ah, I'm mm -hmm. doing something yeah. not really right. <laughs> and is it a pattern? Have I done it elsewhere? Yeah, the patterns are interesting. And that's where think time comes in again to say, well, let me look at the last five projects that I don't think went as well as they could have. Or the last five interactions I had with this one person that just didn't seem to go well. What was common there? And sometimes <laughs> it's just sitting down and saying, all right, I had this one meeting on last Friday and just write down what happened. Where was I? What was the topic? Were they alone? Mm -hmm. and, and just write that down. For Don't try and figure it out. Just write it down. Then think about the next one, the next one, the next one, and just isolate on those and just write them down. Then step away for it, from it for a day and come back and look for what are the points of commonality here? Mm -hmm. And is there a thread of, oh, every time it's about an IT project, that's when I struggle. Other projects, mm -hmm. not a problem, but here's a thread. And then you can explore that and say, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. Is there a type or a personality that I work best with, worst yeah. with? Exactly. So with that, we're going to go on break. We'll be right back. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations, and our guest is Mike Figliolo. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one -on -one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, 
please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our guest is Mike Figliolo. And we ended, we talked about our leaders made or born. And I want to go into now the 12 characteristics that you talk about. So if we think about how do I make myself as a leader, what things should I be thinking about? And these are also the topics that you're covering in your insight section and session in November. Yeah, so I look at leaders and I've worked for some really good ones and I've worked for one or two great ones. And as I reflected on those folks who I thought were great, all of the, they had all of these traits. And this isn't, oh, you've got one or two of these, therefore you're great. It's just this very rare, very unique combination of traits that I look at. And I'll just rattle off the list. Those great leaders were authentic. They knew who they were. They were comfortable in their skin. They were decisive. It did not take them months to make a decision. They were strategic. They knew where they were taking the organization and what the environment around them was. They were innovative and either new products, new ideas, new ways of doing things. They were compelling. They would get you excited about an idea. They were resilient. They could make it through difficult situations and for long periods of time deal with that adversity. They were memorable when they shared an idea, when they shared a story, you remembered it and recalled it for years afterwards. They were efficient. They got their work done. They made sure their teams were efficient. They spent their time very wisely and got a high return on it. They were visible in the organization. So people knew who they were, but they knew who they were because of the work that they did. They were influential and they were able to get other people to change their minds or to do things that were going to be inherently difficult. They were thoughtful and they would pause and spend some of this think time, uh, whether it was about the business or who they were as a leader. And lastly, they were fair. When there was something to be meted out, when there were resources to be shared, they were very thoughtful about how they distributed that. So of those 12 characteristics, Every great leader I've worked with or for or, or know of had all of those. It wasn't a, oh, this person was really innovative and they didn't have any of this other stuff, but mm-hmm. they're a great leader. It's like, no, they're just an innovative person. So which one of those characteristics resonates most with you? For me, it's, it's got to start and end with authentic, uh, authenticity, right? And, and being authentic, being who you are, being comfortable in your own skin, and really understanding the value in that. And another part of authenticity is then valuing that in other people and saying, well, they are who they are, and I'm going to respect those differences. I'm going to respect what's special and unique about them. I'll get past the things that I don't like about them. I won't try and change them necessarily. But that authenticity is so powerful because then you can just be you in every situation you're in, whether Mm -hmm. it's in front of the board of directors or in front of your friends grabbing a beer afterwards or in a one-on-one with a direct report who's struggling. People know who you are and they know where you're coming from. And it makes all the difference in the world because people know when you're wearing the mask too. And when you have that mask on, that's when people say, I'm not sure I trust this person because I'm not getting them shooting straight with me. Yeah, you know, I wonder, I've done some reading that we actually have a physiological reaction to people who are lying to us. 
Yeah, right? it's it's one of those, and lies doesn't necessarily have to be, well, I'm not being truthful about a topic with you. The it's, mask. Yeah, the mask, and it's I'm, I'm lying about who I am. I'm representing myself differently than I would otherwise if I didn't feel like there was pressure around me to behave differently or that I wanted to like you or that I'm trying to manipulate you. It's just that that aura that you give off of there's something here there's a vibe that i don't mm-hmm. like and you pick up on it pretty quickly i think it's just the the reason that resonates with me so much is i can think of people who who conveyed absolutely the right picture and they just always felt a little distant to me i couldn't ever quite connect and then I found out later there was something, you know, X thing that they were doing that was either egregious or just insecure. Often yeah. it's insecure. Yeah, a lot of it's insecurity because people don't want to be perceived poorly. They think I have to behave a certain way to be successful and therefore they become that drone, but you know there's something back there. So that insecurity, I think they're afraid of showing who they really are. And it may be from the way they were brought up. It could be parents, it could have been teachers, could have been coach, could have been a boss that they had previously and saying, I wasn't good enough in this other situation. Therefore, I want to avoid that pain. Therefore, I won't be me because when I'm me, I get beaten up. I I was working Mm -hmm. with an exec recently and she had this realization of, oh my gosh, now I know why I'm not putting myself out there in meetings because I had this one bad experience with a leader. It made me feel bad about the person I am or the way I thought. And that actually wasn't true. And once she understood that situation and then realized it wasn't true, she was much more willing to put herself out there. So the authenticity comes with that flip side of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to walk around and say, people might make fun of me, people might not like me, and I'm okay with who I am. So you have to make yourself vulnerable in order to be authentic, Mm -hmm. right? And, And that's a challenge, that can be scary. I. Growing up, I was, you know, bullied a lot, and I really? was the out. Oh yeah, I was the outsider, and you know, I had a couple of friends. But you get made fun of enough, and it's like, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So it takes a long time to get past that and say, well, I do have worth here, and it's a different kind of worth than somebody else um, saw or didn't see. And then when you do find those people that you can trust and be vulnerable with, and they, they validate you and say, yeah, actually, you got a lot of great qualities, that then ends up being positively reinforcing, and you become mm-hmm. more and more vulnerable with who you are and putting yourself out there, right? And, and ultimately, you stop caring. And I, I don't mean you don't care what other people think, but you don't care about the judgments. It's like, mm-hmm. fine, that's your judgment. That's your problem. You don't mm-hmm. like the way I did something. Okay, but I'm comfortable with the way I did it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's fine. You have your opinion, you have your perspective, but it doesn't hurt me and it doesn't devalue who I am as a person. I think that's the important bit, right? That we'll all have missteps at work. We'll all have missteps outside of work. I can own that I did something that upset or offended or didn't meet someone's expectations. And the authenticity and the internal fortitude allows me to then stand up and say, how do we restore the balance? Rather than crumbling, walking away, being defensive, being angry with you because you didn't like what I did. Those behaviors that really, as a leader, I can't do those. Not and be effective. Yeah, and, and that stepping up can be difficult and admitting I made a mistake, I screwed up, I hurt your feelings, I upset you, I wasn't thoughtful. Those are hard things to say, but it's incredibly empowering to do it when you step back and recognize like, wow, 
that was a really insensitive comment that I made there. And I wasn't thinking about it. That wasn't my intent. I apologize. I see why it hurt you. And here's what I'm going to change to make sure that mm-hmm. doesn't happen again. The strength that you build in a relationship in that moment, because I made myself vulnerable and said, I screwed up. I am not perfect. And I'm sorry. And acknowledging somebody mm-hmm. else's feelings can build that trust and they say, wow, this person really does care about me. Even though the comment was really dumb and insensitive, they care enough about me to acknowledge my feelings, say that I matter, and then make a commitment to not have it happen again. Mm -hmm. So you talk about building this. As we're talking, it's clear that this isn't something I can just go, you know, Mike gave me a list of 12 things to do and I'm going to go do them. And so I'm going to go be authentic. There's some... Oops. Um, there's some underlying self-awareness, self-management, um, belief in self, courage. There are a lot of supporting mindsets and, and views. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because being authentic is really easy on the one hand because you just got to be who you are. You say what's on your mind. You yeah, do the easy. things you think is are right. Um, that's really easy to do because mm-hmm. it's in your nature. You don't have to think about it. Being authentic is who you are without necessarily thinking about it. The reason it's really hard is first you got to strip away all the mass and all the behaviors that you've built up over the years that make you inauthentic, but I needed it for the job or my boss expected it of me or I wanted people to like me. So just even recognizing what those behaviors are and then setting them down is difficult. The next step is even harder, which is starting to put yourself out there as that authentic person because you're going to get judged, you're going to get your feelings hurt, people are going to potentially reject you and you go through all those neurotic things thoughts of, wow, how am I going to be perceived and how it's going to, mm-hmm. how is it going to affect my ego? So I encourage folks to start small, find that person who you can mm-hmm. trust. It may be a significant other, it may be a family member, it may be a peer or a boss or a team member that you trust a lot, who you know isn't going to judge you. Maybe they've seen you in a vulnerable moment and just open up a little bit with them about an insecurity, about a fear, about something you don't do well and see how it goes. And then when they don't judge you, you go, wow, they didn't judge me and they don't think I'm a horrible person. So it makes it easier the next time to open up about something a little bit deeper. And then maybe you say, well, I'm going to open up to this other person or in a team meeting, I'm going Mm -hmm. to behave how I normally would. And then it becomes reinforcing when you realize the world doesn't come crashing down around you because of who you are. It's really much easier to then be authentic. So bringing in then the brain science, I am actually building neural pathways through those tests with other people. And at the same time, the old pathways, old behaviors are starting to dissipate. But for those of us who are, you know, over 25, we've built these behaviors over decades. Yeah. And so letting them go isn't a decision point turn on a dime. It's a it's a process. Yeah, it is. I think what can help people let them go is understanding the negative impacts of that behavior. And it uh-huh. can be gee, I just really don't like myself when I get home from work because I've been a mean guy to my people. And you know what? I have a couple of drinks when I get home and like, wow, there's, that's really dysfunctional, right? And taking mm-hmm. a step back and saying, it's not just a behavior, but the behavior has a consequence, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that makes it easier to set it down. Yeah. Looking at the, again, the patterns, not just I said something unfortunate, but right. I consistently say things when I'm under stress in the setting. Right. So I know we need to move on to a different topic, but let me ask one last question on authenticity because I think it's so important. What if I'm in an environment where I really don't quite fit? 
So I'm inauthentic to keep my job. Sure. And I imagine many of our listeners are working in environments that aren't a perfect fit for them. Yeah. And I always hear the, well, I can't leave. And anytime I hear the word can't, I ask people to substitute the words choose not to, right? I I choose not to leave because Mm -hmm. you have a choice. All of us can leave our jobs tomorrow. Everybody listening can quit. That's fine. Now, every choice has consequences and I understand and appreciate that. But when you look at it as a choice, then you can be a lot more mindful and say, Mm -hmm. okay, if I do quit, what are the implications? Well, I walk away from some stock options. I walk away from the security of my paycheck. I walk away from healthcare. And then you can stack up your next option against that and say, okay, but I hate my job. I hate who I have to be at work to Mm -hmm. get these things. So what am I willing to make that trade-off? What is the cost of that trade-off to me personally and as, as, as a human being? Then I can flip it and say, well, I could be much happier. I wouldn't get stock options. I may not have the security of a steady paycheck, but I'm going to get to be me and not deal with these people that I hate Mm -hmm. uh, or not be able to not sit there and get home at night and say, I hate who I am and I hate my Mm -hmm. work. So when you look at it as a trade-off and say, I have a choice here and here are the consequences Mm -hmm. of either of those choices, then you can make that more courageous step. And and I want to say then there's also the... I've made the decision I want to go, what do I need to put in place to exit gracefully into something else? Yeah. So it's not a binary, and I know you aren't saying that, but yeah. I want to Well, and, and even, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a stay-go decision that you're making. You may make a decision that says, well, I'm being inauthentic, and I hate who I am at the end of the workday when I get home, so maybe the choice I make is, well, you know what? I'm going to start being authentic, and I know there's consequences to that. My boss may be mad, or my team may be mad, or I think they might be mad. I think they might react poorly to me, but that's a choice you're making. So it doesn't have to be this grand, let's quit tomorrow choice. You can Mm -hmm. just say, tomorrow I'm going to show up differently. And each of those are a small experiment, right? I'm going to try one new behavior tomorrow. Right. Not... Yeah, I don't have to do an entire makeover going into the office. It may be, all right, in my one team meeting with these two people on my team, I'm going to try being a little bit more authentic and showing some vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And let's see how that goes. So it can be a choice that's made over time, but it's got to be a conscious shift to Mm -hmm. that new place. And ultimately, you say, you know what? I am being authentic, and now everybody here hates me, and I really don't fit. It just made your other choice a lot clearer (laughs) that it's probably time to depart. Yeah. Well, and the thing I've found with myself is I make those assumptions that I won't fit, people won't like me, and I'm wrong. Yeah. We we are. And people may not think I'm credible. People may not like the person that I am and okay well that's going back to like fifth grade dude Mm -hmm. you know you can (laughs) try letting that down and and Mm -hmm. try to make light of a situation or tell a joke or cry or make yourself vulnerable and yeah I know you got teased by you know Ricky Fuller when you were in eighth grade and I hated Ricky but anyway (laughs) you know it's like okay Ricky's not around you don't work with Ricky anymore and you know you can try out that new behavior with people who are adults and who are thoughtful and, and see how it goes and we are so I love the idea that we're repatterning Right, that that there is that stuff that has now become unconscious and deeply embedded in habit, and for you it's Ricky, for me it's somebody else. But yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> there were things I was well. So one of mine was I was in a teen beauty pageant. One would not know that now. I wasn't a very girly girl. What I didn't realize is demonstrating how to use a blowtorch is not a girl talent. <laughs> 
I have a huge fear of public speaking. I'm getting much better. But every time I get up on the podium, I see that 10-year, 12-year-old girl yeah. with her blowtorch and the audience who was not so impressed, yeah. not tap dancing. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of funny. So I obviously do a lot of public speaking and teaching classes and giving mm-hmm. keynotes. And they end up going well, but there's that moment when you walk out on stage and you're like, wow, I'm kind of terrified. There's a lot of people in the audience and what are they going to think of me? And that's when you have that moment you say, I don't care. I I honestly say that to myself. Mm -hmm. What I say here and what their reaction is to me is not going to change who I am as a person. It may impact if they have me back, right? But (laughs) but it's not going to change who I am as a person. It doesn't change my value in this world. And as soon as you stop caring Mm -hmm. and then your your authentic self in that moment, you make that connection with that audience and that connection is what makes that event memorable. And it's a, what is it, the Maya Angelou quote, people will forget what you say, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just really cool to be able to set that down and say, I don't care. I, nobody's mm-hmm. going to die. I'm going to give a presentation. I'm going to talk. And I don't care. I don't care what they think of me. I hope they love me. Somebody's probably not going to. And, and then we obsess, right? Yeah, There's that yeah. one person, we get that one piece of feedback and you yeah. just try and figure out who it is. And, and then you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, okay, one person didn't like you. and Out of 200 that. or 500 yeah. or 1,000. Yeah. And, you know, I remember I gave one presentation and it was uh, at a nonprofit event and I don't know, there were 300 people in the in the audience and they got the feedback afterwards. And there were probably like, I don't know, 75 feedback forms that got handed back. And the presentation got some really glowing results. And then I'm going through the section of what did you not like about this event? And there were mm-hmm. like 15 different speakers over mm-hmm, a two-day mm-hmm. period. You know, what was like the least valuable part of this event for you? And somebody wrote Mike Figliolo. I'm like, Really? <laughs> really? And and I obsessed about this. I'm like, they were just really pointed and it was really hurtful. And then you step back and go, okay, whatever. You know, they're having a bad day. I said something that reminded them of something or they just fundamentally don't believe in what I do. Mm-hmm. And okay, they're entitled to their opinion mm-hmm. and it doesn't change who I am. So. And back then to the think time, how do I process it? Yeah, how do I process it? And it used to take me a while to process that stuff. And and I still do. And I say, okay, what was it? Was there something I said? Was there a topic? Was there a gesture? What was it? And, and a lot of times I'll try and go back if I can find that person and find out who they are. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what was it? What what did I do that you realize you had tracking this? someone down on anonymous yeah, feedback is not right? helpful? I know. Well, that's why I asked for the names. But, um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I have my ways of figuring out who you are. No, it, it's one of those things where I want to know if I, if I, if you're bent over my presentation, I want to know because that's an opportunity for me to mm-hmm. say, okay, I can change this. A, at least then I can be thoughtful and say, ah, okay, when I tell this one joke, they don't like it. Is the joke necessary? Is it authentic? Is it part of who I am? And there have been times where I'm like, eh, okay, I can drop that comment. And other times I'm like, no, I'm Italian. I get to make fun of Italians. That's it. Sorry. <laughs> like, you don't like it, but I'm allowed to. That's the way it goes. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to break. And I want to point out the other, the one of the other characteristics you talked about was thoughtful. And that's one of your 12. And so let's come back and talk about a couple of the other characteristics that resonate most with you. Great. We'll be right back from break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today our guest is Mike Figliolo, and we're talking about the 12 characteristics of great leaders. So, Mike, we talked about authenticity at length. I'm assuming that there are some other characteristics that, that while, while you're not discounting any of them, because they're your 12 characteristics, <laughs> um, is there, what's the next one that stands out to you beyond authenticity? For me, it's about compelling. When I look at business results, being able to make a case for an idea, whether it's a new investment, a process change, a new product, being able to galvanize an organization, help an organization see we have a problem, there's a solution, here's the proof for it, and we understand what the benefits are. Being able to do so clearly and concisely is a true talent. And when you can move an organization to make a difficult choice, that really sets leaders apart because you look at the leaders who don't get stuff done and it's because they're not compelling. They just put an idea out there and there's no clarity around the problem and nobody gets excited and nothing ever happens. So if I'm not terribly compelling, how do I know? Nothing happens. Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's a question <laughs> of, you know, look at the last five ideas that you brought forward for changes in the organization that you had to influence other people to make. And how many times did it take you to have that meeting with all your other stakeholders to finally convince them? And if it was three, four, five, seven meetings to get it done and, and they finally just capitulated and said, fine, go ahead and do it. We don't care. Um, you're not very compelling. Right. When, when people aren't excited about the idea that you're driving, you're not very compelling. So how do you help me be more compelling? Assume I'm a non-compelling leader. I, I think it 
can be boiled down to a process. I fundamentally believe this. It's one of the core courses I teach. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book on it and it's how do you take that idea and walk it through a process, identify what the problem is, identify that pain point, understand what your recommendation is and why it benefits your listener. Right. And that's that's a huge shift because we always come at things from, well, here's why it's good for me. And when I sell training classes to clients, I could go in and say, you should take this training class because it's going to put a lot of money in my pocket. Yeah, that's that not going to resonate. It. Right. That's <laughs> not going to be very compelling for them. If instead I go in and say, you should take this course because your pain point is your organization isn't efficient or your presentations are 80 pages long and you never make a decision and I can help you fix that. And they go, oh my gosh, that's a huge problem for me. I would love if you can help me fix that. From there, once once you've hit that button, that objective function of theirs and connected your idea to something they care about, you can be incredibly compelling when you make that linkage. Mm -hmm. So that process, that thought process of, of working through that and how your recommendation is going to impact them and therefore what, what data what facts you bring to the mm -hmm. table to make that case um, is a skill that can be built. Back to our initial conversation, mm -hmm. are leaders born or bred? I mean, this is this is this a is breathing a skill. piece. Yeah, this is a, absolutely a skill people can pick up. So it's taught. Yes. And then you you also talk about telling stories around that compelling or to become more compelling through story. Yeah. So storytelling is definitely an art, but there's also a process there. Mm -hmm. And when you understand here are the core components of a story, here's how you can use context and the action and the results, how you can put emotion into a story, how you can build in surprise. There are certain elements that can just be built into a really good story. And that story is how we remember things. Ever since mm -hmm. we've been drawing murals on the cave wall of, you know, the mass on and, and how we killed it, that story is memorable. I tell stories during my presentations, people come up three years later, four years later, and they're like, hey, I saw you speak. And I'm like, great. And they're like, that story you told about 7-Up was awesome. And it was like, it was like a, yeah, and it was like a one minute, two minute story and it yeah. stuck for this person. So being able to tell those stories is really interesting and then be able to pull out that leadership lesson, the implications for the person you're telling it to, to tie that story to their work or that story to mm -hmm. a behavior you want them to change. That's what makes you memorable. So let's go on to the next one. What, what beyond compelling? So, you know, and we just touched on memorable, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of that ends up being the storytelling stuff. For me, decisive is so critical for leaders because we all fear making mistakes. And it goes back to, well, therefore, I'm a bad person. I made a mistake, right? And we get all in that mental knot that happens when we're not decisive. So what we do is we put off making a decision and we say, I'm going to gather more information and more information and more information. Well, guess what? As you're gathering more information and reducing the uncertainty around your decision, the world is changing and new sources of uncertainty are being added. So you will never get to 100% certainty on a decision. The best leaders I know are the ones who can say, I've got 70% of the information I make. This is a calculated risk on the other 30. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make the call now. And by the way, I know the second, third, and fourth decisions I will make if I am wrong and when I will make mm -hmm. those. For me, this whole conference that we're throwing in New York, it was me sitting there and saying, okay, I, I know the content. I know the market. I know the pricing. I know my instructors. Here's this one residual piece of uncertainty. Like, how many people can I get to attend this? And okay, go. Let's see what happens. And, and there have been trigger points all along the way. When do I sign a contract? When do I drop marketing? How much do I spend on marketing? And there's still a bunch of decisions in front of me related mm -hmm. to the conference. So being able to 
think through that and make those calls as they happen or adjust your thinking and saying, wow, I had a hypothesis and I made the decision based mm-hmm. on that. There's new data. I need to reverse that last decision. And oh, by the way, then I got to go to the team and say, hey, I was wrong. I made the wrong decision. Here's why I need to change it. Here's the information I thought I had that I didn't. Mm-hmm. And those those great leaders that I work with have that intuitive sense of decision making and are willing to take on those risks. Um, that that can be a real differentiator. And so one of the things that's a real hot button for me is this idea that leader is now a scientist more than a command and control person for exactly that reason, that that I can't have enough information to make right decisions all the time. I can be directionally correct, do the experiment, and with the assumption that, of course, I'm going to course correct. Because during the conduct of the experiment i'm learning yeah and learning stuff that there was no way i would have known right and so the expectation of my team is of course we're gonna jump in all of us share in the the creation and the design of the experiment we conduct it and during the experiment or after we we fix yeah you have to go into it knowing you're going to screw up yeah (laughs) <laughs> you, you have to accept that you will not make perfect decisions every single time. And by the way, some of those are going to be colossal screw ups. And it requires you to say, all right, I did my best. I, this is the decision I made with the information that was available. The information was wrong or I, I made the wrong choice. And you know what? Here's what I'm going to change and how I'm going to recover for it. And I own the choice that I made. What I like about the scientific bit is it changes my mindset. I'm more willing to make an experiment, make a decision, and conduct a smaller experiment. So it's not a make or break. It's not a career killer. Right. It's not people's jobs and or anyone dies. It's we took the next reasonable step given what we had, and yeah, I, I see a lot of folks make the mistake of making trying to make one really gigantic decision and when you break a big decision down into smaller ones they're so much easier to make and there's so much less risk and you're learning along the way so when you say hey we want to launch a new product globally it's like that is a massive decision Um, but when you step back and say well we want to run a focus group on the product well there's a heck of a lot less risk and that's a decision you're going to have to make on the path to a global launch but when you can disaggregate big decisions into smaller ones you can be a heck of a lot more effective and make decisions more rapidly and take bigger steps right if I'm going to do something huge huge impact I I will be more risk averse if I'm doing a small experiment I can be incredibly creative and innovative and I may find that one bit that I wouldn't have found large-scale yeah and you do it faster right you do it faster and things get done yeah, so this is really building in kind of the agile software development methodology yeah, true. approach true. into leadership. Yeah. Or at least taking what makes sense and applying it to leadership, not not everything. Yeah. And, and that decisiveness is something that comes over time. You make some mistakes along the way. You recognize, gee, nobody did die. And yeah, it cost me a bunch of money. It would have been nice not to just light that money on fire. And boy, that wasn't fun. But I learned from it and I have new information that's going to inform my next decision along the way. Um, The team learned from it and the team knows they're going to be with somebody who takes risks. Therefore, it's implied that team members should also be taking risks. And we want to empower people. We got to let them make decisions if they want to be empowered. 
So this is also, just as we're wrapping up, each one of these is underpinned by others, right? So I am decisive, I'm efficient, I'm authentic in the fact that it's an experiment that we're learning. If we screw up, we're going to acknowledge it. We're not going to cover it up. Uh, I am thoughtful in the way I use my resources to ensure I'm not lighting money on fire. They're all mutually reinforcing, right? When you look at these 12 characteristics and the reason a great leader is great is they have all of these and they can tie being compelling with being decisive, being strategic, and they they all fit together. So let's take a minute and have you talk about the Insight uh, 2016 conference. Yeah. So... I like when people learn, and we've put together a conference for two days in New York in November, and all 12 of these topics are things that we're going to be teaching there and giving people tools and frameworks and processes and ways to think about this stuff. So the way we've structured the event is it's myself and a bunch of my instructors who are going to be up on stage sharing our best thinking on how you do these things. We're not going to have vendors there who are you know passing out business cards like it's a blackjack table. I don't want any distractions. Right. Thank you. So you can get information about Insight 16. What's the website? It's executiveinsight16.com. Perfect. Thank you for joining us. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And back to our objective at the beginning, hopefully you heard something from Mike Worth through our conversation that as a leader you can experiment with. So back to the mind of the scientist, how are you doing against these 12 characteristics of a great leader? Is there anything that you heard that you might like to try out? Mike shares authentically about his own experiences and and the challenges he's had. And what I hope everyone hears is for those people where it looks like it's so easy for them to succeed, the the inner conversation we're all having sounds pretty similar, (laughs) right? It it looked okay, and I'm really glad that one came off, or, boy, I wish that were different. And publicly, we don't see that. And yet, what we're experiencing internally is probably fairly similar for many of us. Yeah. So what is the experiment you can try this week? And join us again next week for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.